this morning. So what we're doing this morning is we are resuming our study on God's covenant with men. It is a very important subject. It is an edifying subject. Uh, it gives us really a very basic framework in which God has revealed his truth. He has structured his word according to his covenants. You have your Bible, you know that it has two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And there is a structure uh, in, the, in the word of God uh, around the subject of God's covenants. In many places, this this used to be uh, this used to be standard a standard understanding of the Bible, but in our days it has become increasingly rare. And so, one of my one of my aims is to set this before you and help you to understand it with increasing clarity. And uh, it does take time, so I hope you won't be discouraged. If you say to yourself, well, I'm not really, I'm not really sure where we're going and how this works, but I hope that by, by the end of our time uh, in September, that it will be much clearer to you. We're looking at direct biblical examples of these covenants, God's covenants with men. There's one definition. You say, what is a covenant? Well, there's a definition that has a long history. And it is the idea that a covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. Last week, we looked at such a covenant between two men, Abimelech and Abraham. Abimelech was the Philistine king of Gerar. We looked at it in Genesis chapter 21, especially verses 22 to 32. Neither man trusted the other. And uh, each man wanted to obtain assurances from each other. Abimelech wanted the, an assurance of peaceful relations for himself and for his descendants. He urges Abraham to swear to him that he will show kindness to him, Abimelech, his descendants, and to the land. Abraham wanted an assurance that he was the acknowledged owner of the well that he dug. Uh, it's amazing, Abraham's requests are very sim sim uh, simple. He said, I dig this well, I want you to acknowledge that this well is mine. Well, this relationship between Abimelech and Abraham and between others in the Old Testament is the reason why covenants are defined as an agreement between two or more persons. You can see, if you were here last time, uh, you can see why this is the case because Abraham swears and Abimelech swears and the text says that they made a covenant. This, in this case, there is an oath taken by both parties. Each party swears to the other. Their covenant is bilateral. We have other examples of covenants like this between men, in, uh, and we're not going to look at them, but uh, just for your information, if you take notes, uh, there is a, uh, a covenant between Isaac, the son of Abraham, and Abimelech. Now, you say, well, I thought Abimelech made a covenant with Abraham. He did. 
and probably the name um, the name Abimelech was a family name. It literally means, literally means my father is king. That's what Abimelech means. And uh, so probably this Abimelech is the son of the previous Abimelech. Uh, some of you are named to your father. And uh, so there was an Abimelech that Isaac made a covenant with, subsequent to the covenant with Abraham. And that uh, uh, between Abraham and Abimelech. And that was a bilateral covenant. It was initiative on both men. They both swore. Um, in uh, And there are others. Uh, there's a, a covenant between Jacob and Laban, a bilateral covenant. There's a covenant between Joshua and the leaders in Israel and the Gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9. These are all examples of bilateral covenants, which is why the popular old definition of a covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. So last week we looked very quickly at the Noahic covenant, the covenant which centered in Noah, uh, God made with Noah. This was not a bilateral covenant. It was a unilateral covenant. It was a covenant in which God sovereignly imposed his covenant obligations upon Noah and his descendants. Noah doesn't swear. God swears. God makes the covenant. God says how the covenant's going to work. Well, we don't have much time to go into that. This week, we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant between God, which God made with Abraham. And we're going to see that this is a unilateral covenant. It's not a bilateral covenant. It's not an agreement. It's, there's no negotiation in this covenant. God comes and he makes the covenant. He says how the covenant's going to work. What obligations, what promises go to Abraham? What obligations are binding upon Abraham? In future weeks, we're also going to consider the Mosaic covenant, the covenant uh, God made with Moses and the people of Israel, and the Davidic covenant, the covenant God made with David, which we just sang about in hymn 101, based upon Psalm 89. That's a reflection of the Davidic covenant. And then we will come to, finally, the new covenant. If we have time in September, my last Sunday here, unless something changes, you never know what a day may bring forth, uh, will be September 10. And if we have time, we'll do uh, uh, something rather unusual at City View, a question and answer session. So you have questions about God's covenants, uh, you, can, you can ask me just about any time after service. We'll talk about covenants, or you can write them down. That would be good. Write down your question about covenants, and uh, I will make an effort to answer those questions in September if God prospers our course. Well, the one thing, one of the things I wanted to underscore today is that God's covenants are interrelated. They are interrelated. There is an organic thread in God's covenants that he makes with men. Now, this doesn't mean that the covenants are identical. That's one of the mistakes that's often made about God's covenants. People treat God's covenants as if they're all identical. They are not identical. They are interrelated 
but they are not identical. Let me point this out, that we live under the Noahic covenant. We live under God's promise that he will never flood the world again with water. He will destroy the world with fire, but not with water. That's God's Noahic covenant. There are various elements of that covenant we're not going to go over this morning. But we live under the Noahic covenant. Abraham lived under the Noahic covenant. David, Israel, and us. Well, as I say, we're looking now at God's covenant with Abraham. A couple of weeks back, we looked at Hebrews 6, not turned in now, but Hebrews 6, 13 to 20, spells out how the covenant works. There was doubt on Abraham's part, which God addresses by an oath-bound promise, a promise which was then sworn. God makes an oath. Now, uh, there's a man you'll find on the internet, I listen to his sermons a lot, his name is Dr. Dale Ralph Davis, and he addresses God's oath-bound promise in one of his sermons, and uh, he, he states that Abraham is not entirely doubting God's promise. He says Abraham wants assurance, and uh, um, as much as I respect Dr. Davis, he's, a, he's, a, he's an excellent scholar, I, I think as we look this morning at the Abrahamic covenant, we're going to see how much Abraham struggles believing God's promise. Okay, now we want to look at some of these the features of this of this covenant, the covenant God makes with Abraham. And generally speaking, God's covenants are progressively revealed. God generally when he makes a covenant, doesn't say everything all at once. He brings parts of his covenant forward and announces them and supports them, and then he says more at a subsequent time. Let's start with Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, which is where the Abrahamic covenant begins, as far as Abraham is concerned, as far as God is concerned, uh, it begins in eternity, in, in, in a sense. But let's look at Genesis chapter 12. And we'll look at the first couple of verses there. As always, I'm reading from the New American Standard. So if you see a couple of little differences in translation, you'll understand why. Here, God starts revealing... The Abrahamic covenant, the covenant he's making with Abraham, the promises he's making to Abraham, and here it is. Uh, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, Abraham went forth as God had spoken to him. Notice that this is a unilateral covenant. God doesn't come to Abraham and say, hey, you know, I got this great idea. I really want to do good things for you, Abraham, and so if you agree 
to move, this is what I'm going to do for you. It doesn't happen that way. God tells Abraham, look, get up, get away from here, go to the place I will show you, and I'm going to do this, this, and this for you. Abraham only has one option, and that is to obey what God says. Abraham doesn't even say here, well, I agree with this. This is a nice idea. I'll do this. There's no agreement. That's a unilateral, sovereignly imposed covenant. The promises we're going to list. Now, at this point, the promises are not sworn. There's no swearing here. God simply promises. And that's fine. When God promises, that's enough. But as we saw in Hebrews 6, for the sake of his doubting people, God swears. He promises and he swears. So what are the promises? Well, the promises are, number one, multiplied descendants. Right now, Abraham has no children. And that's going to come up again. But God promises, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's going to have multiplied descendants. Implied in that, of course, is that he's going to have a land. You can't have a nation without a land. A people who are scattered around are in a nation. But God promises Abraham a nation as his descendants, as the land is implied. There is blessing for Abraham, extended blessing. God promises that Abraham will be blessed, he will be great, and there was an extended blessing in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that not only is a promise to Abraham, but this is a gospel promise. This is the gospel promise. And in, Genesis, in Galatians 3.8, Paul tells us that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying... And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. So these are the promises which God initially makes in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham when God calls him to the land that he will give him. The second passage we want to look at is Genesis 13, verses 14 to 17. Here again, God makes promise to Abraham. Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 14. And this is um, this is an interesting passage because what happens is uh, there's friction between Abraham and Lot. And Abraham does the, uh, the gracious thing. He tells Lot, take what you like. Anything you like, take the land. Go whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. You take what you want, I'll take what's left over. Very gracious. Abraham didn't need to do that. He was the uncle. He was the, he was the man. And Lot was, as it were, a carry along. But God loved Abraham's unselfishness and graciousness. And so in verse 14, after, uh, after uh, Lot leaves, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, 
so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Now there, again, is God's sovereign declaration of his covenant promises. He's going to give Abraham a great a great number of descendants, and God is going to give him the land. So what was implied before when he said, I'm going to make you a nation, is now explicitly stated, you're going to have the land. The next time that we see the covenant, again, God is progressively revealing to Abraham what he's going to do. Next time is after the war of the five kings, when Abraham rescued Lot in Genesis 15, 1 to 19. I'm not going to read that passage, but after that, uh, after that, uh, that thing that uh, Abraham had done in rescuing Lot, and he would not take anything from the kings of the five, the five nations that he rescued, then God makes a great promise. Very interesting. In chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And this is a promise, a magnificent promise, which is too good to be true. And you see, and the way God introduces the promise, that he understands that Abraham has a problem. Because God starts with this phrase, do not fear Abraham. What does God say, do not fear Abraham? Because Abraham fears. Abraham is concerned. Abraham is not confident. And he says, I'm a shield to you. you. You defeated those kings. Are you worried somebody's going to come and attack you? Wipe you out? No, I am a shield to you. I'm protecting you, Abraham. And you're going to have a great reward. Now, Abraham, Abraham has a question. In verses 2 and 3, here's Abraham's question. He says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. So you're promising me great blessing, Lord, but I didn't even have someone to pass on the blessing to. And then you have, in verses 4 and 5, God's assurance. See, this is how, this is how the covenant is unfolding. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count stars, if you're able to count them. It's not like New York City, of course. It's out in the country. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And here is where Abraham's faith begins to be strengthened. 
by the declaration of God's word because it says in verse 6, then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him unto righteousness. And so now there's Abraham's faith. In verse 7, Abraham is once again assured that his descendants will possess the land. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And now Abraham has another question. First, he had this question, what are you going to give me because I have no heir to pass it on to? And now he's not asking him about descendants anymore. He's asking him about the promise of the land. This is Abraham's question, verse 8. O Lord God, how may I know? that I will possess it. And now we have a very strange, very strange incident in which the covenant is actually sworn, is actually made. In verses 9 to 16. So God said to him, Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he, Abraham, brought all these to him and cut them in two. The particular Hebrew word here for cut them. I'll make a, make a note about it for you in a moment. It's important. He cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And Adelroth Davis commenting on this makes the point. Abraham knew exactly what God was telling him to do. He said, Abraham, we're going to go through this procedure and I'm going to make sure you understand that my promise is going to come true. This is what God's doing. He's assuring Abraham. So in this passage, again, the, the animals, the birds come to, to swoop down on the cut prey. And uh, Abraham drives them away. And then there is a, a deep sleep in verse 12, falling upon Abraham. And terror and great darkness fell upon him. What is it? It's the presence of Jehovah God that awes Abraham. And God said to Abraham, verse 13, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you will be buried in a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. And so now God has told Abraham about the future of his descendants. Okay, they're not going to be in the land now, but in 400 years, they are going to come back into the land and they are going to possess it. This is God's promise. So it came about in verse 17, Verse 17 and 18 is a covenant demonstration of God's commitments. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants I have given this land. From the river Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So again, what is God doing? God is swearing. He's making an oath-bound promise. And what you see here is what is known in the split pieces 
and God in a theophany passing between the pieces, God is swearing a self-maledictory oath. It's this kind of an oath that says, look, if I don't do what I have promised, may what's happened to these animals happen to me. God is saying, I'm swearing to you, Abraham. I might as well be destroyed if my promise does not come true. And it says God made a covenant. That word made, different from the, um, uh, it's, uh, it's the word cut, actually. It says God cut a covenant with Abraham. It's a different word than the previous word cut, but it is a synonym. In, in the cutting of the pieces, God is making an oath-bound promise, a self-maledictory oath. God passes between the pieces, and he's assuring Abraham, that the covenant is going to come true. He's swearing to Abraham. Well, the next, the next passage that we want to take a look at is Genesis chapter 17. Again, what we're seeing is how God progressively reveals his covenant. He doesn't say everything all at once but he progressively reveals his covenant. In the first eight verses, God uh, reiterates, and I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but uh, you, can, you can read Genesis 17. Uh, maybe you remember it clearly already. The first eight verses, God re reiterates his covenant promises. And then three covenant promises. Land, seed, blessing. Those are the three Abrahamic promises God makes to Abraham. He promises a seed, an innumerable seed. He promises him the land for his seed. And he promises him blessing, extended blessing. And then what God does here, here is an advance on the covenant, is God uh, imposes the sign of the covenant Abraham's going to be reminded, and all of Abraham's descendants are going to be reminded of the covenant by a sign. And again, Abraham is not asked, would you like this sign? Would you like to do this? God imposes a sign on Abraham. It's the sign of circumcision. You know what circumcision is. God says, okay, Abraham, you need to, you need to see where does, where does your descendant come from? The descendant comes from your body through the member of your flesh that is cut in circumcision. You see the, you see the sign is something that puts forward procreation by which means Abraham gets a seed. And so God tells him, you and all of your descendants are to be circumcised in your flesh as a sign of the covenant, the promise that the covenant is coming true, is you're going to be reminded every time one of your children is born on the eighth day, one of your sons is born, he's going to be circumcised. It's a sign of the covenant. And then God promises the, 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 uh, the son of the promise, and he identifies him specifically. Notice verses 15 and 16. That's we will read. Genesis 17, 15 and 16. 
Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So God specifically identifies the son whom David's going to have as coming from Sarah. Now, Abraham, Abraham does something here uh, expressing some degree of doubt at least, right? Because then in verse 17, Abraham fell on, Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a, child, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? And then Abraham prays to God and he asks him to do something. And you see what's going on here. Abraham says, well, I don't have a son. Oh, I do have a son, but it's, it's not Sarah's boy. We got this boy named Ishmael. So Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's saying, Lord, I have a son. His name is Ishmael. Will you bless him? But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So here God identifies the covenant son, and the covenant is being passed on from Abraham to Isaac. And God says, oh no, not Ishmael, I'm going to bless him too. But your covenant son is Isaac. And Isaac is the one who is going to see the covenant fulfilled. He ties his covenant promise to Isaac, Sarah's son, in no uncertain terms. Well, there is more. Uh, let, me, let me just give you a couple more passages uh, for your own Research that's more on the covenant in, in Genesis 22. There's the offering of Isaac up on Mount Moriah, after which God reaffirms again the covenant in, uh, in verses 15 to 18 of Genesis 22. And you already know the covenant, the covenant child is Isaac. So now the covenant is made with Abraham and with Isaac. And uh, God, God makes that very clear. In Genesis chapter 26, do turn there please, Genesis 26, starting in verse 2, here is uh, Isaac. Interestingly, in the same place where Abraham had lived for a while in Gerar, the Lord appeared to him, verse 2, and said, Do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land of which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So here God swears the covenant once again to Isaac. So that's covenant with Abraham. 
is for Abraham. It's for Abraham and Isaac. And then we find out that it's not only with Abraham and Isaac, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis 50 and verse 24. This is the history of Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. Uh, Joseph is about to die. He's an old man in Egypt. In verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and will bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath. To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So the covenant promise now, the oath sworn promise, belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the, the tie-in in the book of Exodus is in chapter 2. Some of you already think of this passage. Uh, when the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt, as God said they would be, we read, in verse 24 of Exodus 2, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant that starts with Abraham, but is passed on to Isaac and Jacob, and all of those men receive God's oath-sworn promises. The last thing I want to say you have now before you the Abrahamic covenant. See how the how the covenant works, how God reveals it progressively, and how he promises, and then he addresses the doubt that comes from the promises with oath-sworn promises, even to the point of making the self-maledictory oath. But here it is. No matter how unlikely it seems that God's promises come to pass. They most certainly will, since God is the one who has promised and sworn. If we get nothing else from this, what we have sung, God's promises are sure. They are yea and amen in Christ. As unlikely as it may seem that Jesus will build his church, he will. It's God's promise to his son that he will inherit the nations all the way back to Abraham God makes this one promise which has respected Jesus Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant well we have to we have to stop there I'll, I'll pray that God will help us as we try to digest uh, the uh, these these truths let's pray Thank you, Father, again for your holy word. Thank you that you were so concerned that we would understand how you make these promises and how you fulfill the purposes which cross generations and millennia. We thank you for them. We pray you would give us wisdom and faith to understand and to appropriate them to us and our circumstances. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.